Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. Today on Irishman Running Abroad, Sonia talks to me about all things relating to women and girls in sport, from the issues of participation to remuneration, representation to coverage and everything in between. What steps have been taken in recent years to help level the playing field and what does Sonia feel needs to happen before we will see uh, even more real changes? Sonia, the options and opportunities available to young girls now are obviously light years away from the Ireland you grew up in. Maybe we should start by telling us a little bit about that time and what exactly was available to you and why or whether that was the reason why you wound up running. Yeah, it's interesting, really, because people often ask, you know, did you do any other sports or did you take part in any other sports? And I was listening to a podcast last week as well with Dervil O'Rourke and she was asked the same question. And Dervil is a little bit younger than me, but she was actually had the similar answer. So that was probably about 10 years later. And, um, you know, she said she kind of fell into running because that was really the only thing. Like she played soccer outside the house in the in the local green with the boys. But when it came to actually competing and, you know, I suppose moving up the ranks and achieving stuff there really wasn't that much available to girls in the so that would be the 80s the 70s the 80s Hmm. maybe into even the early 90s but now I think things have changed a lot and there's so much more available to girls at the moment and they have so many you know role models to look up to and you know that's the thing is I suppose I the role models for me they definitely wouldn't have been female athletes even though you know, there was a time when I started to pay attention to more female runners. So maybe that then, I suppose, was something that led me down that path and I could see what lay ahead or, you know, what was achievable, but not really, you know, in someone who was comparable to me. It was people from England, people like Liz McColgan and um, Zola Budd from South Africa, you know, people who were in the news at the time. And it was very few. So I suppose in a way it was running or nothing. Hmm. And um, whereas nowadays, maybe it's even more difficult now because there's so much choice. It's how do you narrow it down? I can remember when um, Sophie was at school in Australia and she was playing soccer and basketball and then she was running as well. So, you know, the weekends were just so busy. You know, there was games on and there was training during the week. And it did get to a point where she had to decide. And so then she kind of had to narrow it down and it got down to two. So then it was basketball and running because you could just about squeeze those in because soccer or football is so demanding on Mm. kids. You know, they have to put in so many hours to to progress in that and to to get through all the teams that, you know, you, you, you don't have all that time when you're at school and you're trying to do other activities as well. So, you know, that's the choices and the dilemmas that kids face these days and particularly in women's sport is that they have so much choice Hmm. and that's a great thing you know to to see that yeah i mean we're going to get into all of this we've so much to get through and so many angles to cover uh, not least what you mentioned there at the start the idea of role models now 2020.ie was the incredible initiative set up 
to raise visibility and participation in Irish sport by girls and women. And, you know, it really addressed an awful lot of things that I don't think people had really committed a lot of energy or thought to. It also included a couple of incredible viral videos, including one that was various moments of commentary uh, from Irish women achieving at sports. Uh, without the pictures to match. So uh, it was incredibly powerful in raising that question of if girls can't see it, they can't achieve it. You said Liz McColgan was the name there. Zola Bud were the two that first you can remember first going, oh, there's a woman I want to be be like. It feels like you then start to to be that girl for so many other girls uh, in Ireland in the 90s. Did you sense the opportunity that you had then? And did you kind of grasp it as, hey, let me be your Zola Bud and Liz McCulgan? And did that come with a load of pressure? It's strange because I really didn't, you know, I think at the time I didn't know that I was such a, you know, a role model for so many people. And it's only now when people are talking more about this and we're doing interviews with you know, women across all sports, particularly in Ireland, and they're asked to talk about, you know, who was your role model? And, and you know, it's really kind of, who do you remember mm. female doing sport in Ireland in the 90s? And, you know, I was at a time when, you know, television and newspapers were the main kind of mainstream media. And, you know, for a good portion of the year, I was you know, in the newspaper and and people bought the newspaper and read the newspaper and, you know, on on the news. And, you know, so you kind of become a household name without even knowing it. So at the time, I didn't realize that this was a platform that I had to kind of inspire more women to follow in my footsteps. So and sometimes I feel like there's a bit of a gap there. Yeah. Where we kind of lost an opportunity to drag people along because there wasn't really the methods to do it and and possibly part of the reason for that is because as a track and field athlete you're often treated equally in many ways so you compete at the same events um, the coverage is fairly similar and you know at the time people were pretty quiet you know I think you were rewarded for what you did but you didn't really realize that you know some people who were doing similar things to you were rewarded more Mm. And it's only now, I think, that women are kind of trying to have equal parity with men for everything that people are realizing, hang on, these are a few things here we need to catch up to. And back then, if you're running races, winning races, you're being, you know, honored as if you were the best in the world, then you don't know any different. And it's only when, you know, other sports come along and they win, say, like the Irish women's rugby team won the um, Grand Slam. And that was really big news, but it didn't really, it didn't really kind of grab the attention. It didn't get the same kind of rewards that yes. the men would have got, I don't think. I mean, it was a platform definitely for the Irish women's rugby to grow and to develop from. But I don't think they felt like the the rewards they got for their achievement were as great as you would expect it to be because oh, the time and the effort yeah. and you know the sacrifices that 
people put into whatever sport they do. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or, you know, everybody puts in the same amount of time and effort to get the best result that they can. And there came a time, and it was only in recent times, really, that people realized that, hang on a second, we're all putting in this hard work, but we're not getting rewarded the same way. Mm. And a lot of the women in sport were, you know, working jobs as well, and they couldn't afford to, you know, be a professional rugby player or a professional soccer player because it just wasn't quite at the level that allowed that. And, you know, I was definitely lucky in that track and field you, you could do that. And I when I started to win races and, you know, to me, when I remember when I first broke an Irish record, I think I finished fourth or fifth in a 1500 metres in Monaco. And, you know, it was kind of, oh, by the way, you got a thousand, whatever, thousand dollar bonus for breaking the record. And I was like, wow, that's great. <laughs> you know, it was just like, you know, I I didn't know you know, the the value of that money at the time, because I'd never had that much before in my life. You know, the best pay I had up to that point was, you know, for picking potatoes and you know, <laughs> out there break, doing really hard work. But to go out there and run a race and just by running a time to get an extra bonus, you know, all of a sudden this is like, this is easy work. I can do this every week. So were you aware so of, think, of what the men were being paid for at similar track meets at the time? Or as you say, was that just something that you've started to reflect on since? No, well, I think, you know, track and field is, or athletics, whatever you like to call it, it's, um, for a long time, it was treated as, it was an amateur sport. Yes. So people typically didn't get paid. And there was a lot of under the table, brown paper bag stuff. And I was kind of around at the time when that was just kind of being talked about up to that point it was all very secretive and people didn't know so because of that the whole business of contracts with athletes um, whether it's with shoe companies or whether it's with race meetings um, around the world it was all very private and secretive so people didn't know wow and people probably and people probably still don't know because there's always these things like you have personal bonuses you know and that's specific to you so unless you tell somebody, then nobody's going to know about that. Yeah. Were they so, actual you know, I mean, brown the paper bags? Like, were they, were, or were they brown envelopes? <laughs> I'm just interested in that um, as a concept. Like, how does the money arrive? I can, I and is it under I cover can. of darkness? <laughs> <laughs> there, there is definitely examples of brown paper envelopes. And, you know, I was reading Marcus O'Sullivan was reflecting there recently on when he first started running and how after the race meetings, you'd have to queue up outside the meet director's dead room in the hotel and you'd queue up outside and you'd go inside and you might pay your travel expenses and then depending on how you ran, might give you a bit of a bonus for that and some prize money. But it was all kind of up in the air, you know, there was nothing, <laughs> no defined, you know, it depends. Sometimes, it, sometimes it depends if they like you or not. Wow. And, you know, I suppose that's where sports personalities came about is you know if you're a big big personality then you know you may not be compete you may not be performing as well as you might not be the best but because of your personality and what you attract then you're going to be rewarded more and and we're seeing that right now in a different way come back around in that there are many sports people out there men and women 
who they're using their profile on social media and they're getting paid more from that than they are for the actual sports performance. Mm. I mean, this is uh, like the this this side of things we'll have to go into deeper in later in the episode. And there's an awful lot more, as I say, to talk about. We do an Excel version of this podcast over on Patreon, where we've an extra half an hour each week that you can listen to there. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad. But before we get to that interval in the show, I do want to bring up the dropout rate, right? Because this is this has been a problem from, you know, day dot that while girls will be involved in sports in schools, the dropout rate is so high that they tend not to keep it on much more so than boys will. Boys will, of course, drop out too, but girls do it in much greater numbers. Have you ever sat down with, say, sports bodies or even had discussions with government figures around this problem? Or is that, again, just like the uh, cash after these track meets, something that's a bit kind of up in the air and, oh, that that's something that, yeah, we've got to look at that, but never really gets done? I think we're looking at it a bit more closely now. I think there's definitely an encouragement and there's, I think there's more profile of women in sport out there now that more girls are more attracted to stay in sport for longer and to find a way because I notice it with a lot of the women's groups that you would see training groups around the world. You know, it's, it's a great lifestyle to be involved with. And I think once women can find the right group to be involved with, and this is specifically for, for running now, I mean, teams are different again, then, you know, they, there's a sense of belonging. Whereas mm. I think before, it was more running is a very individual sport. And so I would have spent a lot of time training by myself, you know, I suppose living by myself. Whereas nowadays there's much more groups are created to avoid that. And then it becomes much more of a lifestyle for the athletes that they train together. They live in a similar place. They socialize together. And then all of a sudden, you kind of want to be a part of the group and you don't want to miss out. So you do everything you can to stay involved for as long as possible. Mm. And you see these groups dotted all over the place. So I think that's, you know, re in America, particularly, there's actually a lot of these groups in America. I think it's something we could possibly work harder with in Ireland. I think there is a few, there's a lot of training groups in Ireland, but they're still similar to when I would have been running and led by men, you know, primarily male training groups. But that's not a bad thing for women to be involved with. But I think for the social part of it afterwards, then maybe there needs to be more women involved and maybe a bit more encouragement for some women to, it's okay to train with men and they can help you and push you along. But, you know, you need a few together in there to have it a bit more kind of, I suppose in, it's more than training. It's more than work. It's also, you know, a bit more lifestyle and lifestyle that you enjoy and not just a small part of your life. Yeah. So this, this is often brought up that in the 1950s, when Ireland's first female track and field Olympian, the great Maeve Kyle, 
had read a letter in the Irish Times expressing outrage that she, an Irish mother, would be leaving her husband and daughter to travel and compete at the Melbourne Games. It's obviously a, we're a world away from that. But what you hint at here, Sonia, is uh, the kind of wider shift in public sentiment and kind of the view of being a club member or as athletics, as you know, a desirable thing for a young woman or a girl to do that it's, you know, not being grouped and classified into this being an outsider, but it actually being cool, essentially, right, to kind of bring it under the umbrella of, oh, that's a, that's a cool thing to be involved in or uh, something that is attractive for girls to do. That kind of shift just is so, I think it's sometimes stigmatized or mystified if that's the way to refer to it but actually it doesn't take to me it doesn't take a lot to swing the pendulum of public opinion towards girls doing this activity is actually something that a lot of girls would be into if they just simply got to see those that are doing it do you get what i'm saying that like there's the coverage element of even just showing girls doing these things seems to be what was lagging behind through the 80s and early 90s was the depiction of what you're describing, the kind of club and group mentality of it, the social side. Yeah, and I think it probably people just see, they generally see sports people on the stage competing and they don't see what goes on behind the scenes. And, you know, it seems like it's a, a lot of hard work, which it is. But, you know, you can only work so many hours hard in a day. Mm. And then the rest of the time you have to you have to enjoy what you're doing and you do have to find, I suppose, things to look forward to every day. You know, when you do when you go out there and you push yourself and you work hard, you need to have something to look forward to afterwards. And whether that's going, you know, I mean, the, the, the thing at the moment that most people do is, you know, they might meet at the coffee shop and, you know, hang around and, you know, have a chat for the afternoon. That's kind of the thing that people do at training camps it's a big social thing and you see different groups overlapping when you're around the world as people are kind of out there trying to source out you know where where will we go where's the cool spot to go and that becomes as much part of your day yeah, as the, hang. the training yeah. yeah you know so you need you need to have that downtime that relaxation time and you know sometimes that will be with the training partners that you have and other times it might be just by yourself, you know, in a coffee shop, writing something, reading something. And then somebody who's doing similar to you may come in as well. So then you have that little bit of social interaction. And it's all about the social interaction and breaking things down into, you know, this is a lifestyle that I'm enjoying. This is my kind of work environment um, and accepting that rather than kind of thinking, oh, this is just something I'm going to do for a short amount of time. And and you notice that now that women in sport, particularly in distance running, they stay in the sport for much longer. And people don't question, you know, is it time to retire? Is it time for you to go on to the next thing in your life? No, this is my life. This is what I like to do. And um, I think I probably went through a phase of that of, you know, well, what do I do now? And then realizing that, you know, sport is always going to be a huge part of my life. And I have to 
accept that and I have to make that work for me. And just because I'm not, you know, out there winning races doesn't mean that I can't be involved and can't be influencing people to, you know, use sport as the, the powerful tool that it is, you know, mm. for, for women, especially just to be noticed and to, you know, it's, I suppose I, I was reading a few things last night and one of the things that stood out, they said sport is such a powerful tool that it has the power to change your life. And, you know, there's no other job in the world. I don't think that can do that. You know, that has that kind of common bond with what you do and what other people enjoy watching or being a part of. It's just such a common bond for people to be involved in sport and to use that as something to kind of lift you up and then also to use that to inspire others to want to be like you. Mm. I, I mean, the, the stuff you talked about here from the is very much the ground up. And I, I love hearing about it because I think that sometimes when we're putting together a local club or as I'm facing right now with Michael's school, where they have a track team, but they don't really practice. <laughs> and there's there's no real thought given to the things that you've mentioned, which is, well, what is what would what would attract a kid to do that, male or female? And obviously the, you know, the wider culture, you would say, of what it is to be on the track team or the sports team is the uh, extracurricular. It isn't just, you know, the running the laps, the doing the intervals and the long Sunday run. Uh, it's all of that stuff. Now, that's ground ground up and will, uh, if it gets seen, attract kids, girls and boys to the sport. But so much of this, Sonia, has to be top down. We've got older men, usually white guys in power who have an old school view of women's sport. Would you agree that sometimes for all that grassroots stuff that you're talking about, if the dudes on top in the suits are still making the Irish women's football team wear the tracksuits of the junior boys team, that you're at a hiding to nothing. And what are our chances of getting women into those positions and men of the right mindset to actually make change come from the top and meet that change that you've described from the bottom? Well, I, I think from what I see, and I would follow a lot of sport in Ireland more than anywhere else, I think that's changing all the time. And, you know, it's it's probably a slow moving train to kind of change things and to get equality across the board. But things like the Olympic Federation of Ireland, they have now, I'm pretty sure, a 50% male and female balance on the board. Hmm. And so just by having that, you know, you have the, the balance, but you also have the influence of a women, a woman's mindset or view of things and interpretation that influences the men. So I think as time is going on, there's a bit more conversation at the top table and people are asking questions more than they used to. So I think before women were on boards, they were leading organizations, but maybe not having the 
influence that they need to have to, you know, have a, I suppose, a balanced view of things and an understanding from from all people's point of view. So I think that is changing all the time, and I think it's changing for the good. And like we wouldn't know about the women's football team, you know, sharing mm-hmm. tracksuits or, you know, examples like that. You know, women's GA teams down the country not having anywhere to change and. They don't have a pitch to train on because the men have first priority. We wouldn't know about this, only that women now are speaking out and telling these stories. Before, I think it was a bit secretive, all this stuff. And it was secretive in a way that you're kind of, you should be happy with what you have, so don't complain. Whereas I think now women are like, hang on a second, this isn't right. We need more. Yeah. And so I think sport has allowed a lot of women to find a voice and to ask for more and not to be afraid. And, you know, that comes from, a. I think you get a lot of confidence from being involved in sport. And with, with the confidence, then you just have a bit more, I suppose, resilience to get out there and to, if you feel that something's not right, that, to make a change and to try and, you know, make a difference. And I think that's the key is that there's so many, you know, women out there now who, who know this and they, wanted I mean some people do it quietly others go out there and you know make a big stand about it and it's you know some you need to have a mix of both I think so I need you need people underground working quietly and getting things done but then you need others who are out there kind of making the headlines and you know pointing out what needs to be done well, I've brought up basketball so many times on this podcast, nearly part of a bingo game that or drinking game that people can play when, when they're listening. How is Jarlath going to bring this back to basketball? But I do. It does make me think <laughs> of I'm working on a book, actually, with uh, Connor Meany uh, from Irish Basketball about Americans arriving and taking part in the Irish leagues during the 80s and 90s. And one of the things they did, and I think there's quite a few people listening who might remember this, was sending these new American exotic people around to classrooms in schools, such as St. Vincent's in particular in Dublin. And I remember hearing Jason Sherlock describe just how mind blowing it was to hear about their life and what basketball is in America to them. And again, it's the, you know, can't see, can't be thing. But the actually bringing these influencers to those that are to be influenced, you must have gotten so many requests similar to that and turned down so many of them, Sonia. But you must also recognize that when people got to see you on the TV, it was one thing. But the impact of you being there and them having you sign the T-shirt or even just run some laps with them was so much more yeah I mean I think at the time I still I mean it sounds ridiculous but I think there was definitely times when I was so focused on what I was doing that I saw all these kind of things as a bit of a distraction okay and I would try and limit things as much as possible and do you regret that at all there is some things yes but not all things because I think you do like I think it's very easy when, you know, you become a public figure and you become someone who can be used to influence people that it can take away from 
what got you there in the first mm. place. Mm. So you have to strike a balance and then you have to decide, okay, am I going to be the role model and the athlete or am I going to be the athlete and the role model? So which one has the greater priority? And then you have to make your decisions based on that. And, and like the biggest thing for me, I always remember in I w- when I was in London training and it was very easy to fly back to Ireland, but I would never fly back on a Tuesday. Like a Tuesday was like, yeah, that was, what would you say, <laughs> off limits <laughs> because that was my main training day of the week. And I, I knew I had to do that session and I had to do it with the group I was with. And if I went to Ireland, you know, you could easily say, oh, yeah, but you can go to the track and do it or you can go to the park. But it wouldn't be the same. So I think I had to prioritize what I was doing. And so I suppose you could pay me anything. (laughs) If it was a Tuesday, I wouldn't do it. (laughs) Um, Or a Wednesday, (laughs) because I couldn't get there on Wednesday. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I didn't, I think the, thing is that I didn't always make decisions based on what the benefit to other people was. So I didn't realize that, okay, if I'm turning up at a school or at a women's event, that there's an importance to this based on what it's going to do for people in the future. Mm. And I didn't weigh things up like that. It was just kind of an event or it was some, a request or something to do. Whereas I think nowadays, I think people can, you can weigh these things up a bit more and okay, you work out who am I doing it for? What's the benefit? You know, what's, what's the benefit down the track of doing this? And you weigh it up a bit more. And I think there's definitely levels of importance that athletes now put on specific events. And if it's a women in sport event, then they're more likely to, you know, put the hand up and say, yeah, I want to be involved in that. I want to be a part of that because I know it's important for the future of the sport. And there has been a lot of women who've done that in recent years. And, you know, we have to be grateful for that, that it's, you know, raised the level and the profile of women's sport, you know, in Ireland and and all around the world. Um, I think you see, I suppose you relate to the countries that you associate with. And in America, I haven't quite kind of seen it on the lower levels yet, but I've seen it at the high levels, like here at Nike, like I can see now they're trying to focus more on, on, they don't divide their categories into sports anymore, but it's now it's men's sport, women's sport and kids rather than, you know, football, soccer, you know, so those are three big divisions that they have you know, up at the high level. So because of that, then their men and women are they're trying to make it more equal than it has been in the past. You know, there's there's a lot more to get to, particularly practically, Sonia. I want to talk in the second half of our conversation around what people can do who are listening to this going, well, I'm having great difficulty convincing my young one to stay with it. She's got oodles of talent. She's got loads of athletic ability, but 
things are getting harder to sell. I had a couple of emails and a few texts to the Irishman Abroad Live line about this very topic. And we'll get into that in the second half. Before we go to our break, I do need to give a big shout out to Cahal O'Connell, who joined me for an impromptu Irishman Running Abroad meetup in Belfast. I was over on Friday for a flying visit to perform stand up comedy during the Pride in the Job Awards, which was essentially a builder's award, Sonia. It was the best builders in Northern Ireland. They wanted 20 minutes of my stand-up. And as I pulled up to the hotel, there was Cahill O'Connell ready to go for a quick uh, 5k with me. Uh, so a big shout out to Cahill. He got rewarded with the Irishman running abroad a limited edition pin. That's what you get if you send an email to our show and it gets read out. Irishman. Uh, Irishman Abroad Podcast at gmail.com is the way to contact Sonia and myself. And we read every single email and we'll reply to as many as possible. There's also strava.com forward slash clubs forward slash Irishman Abroad if you want to join the club. We have meetups throughout the year, including a very big one coming in April that Sonia and I are working on right now. We also have the Run in the Dark, which is our next club event, a virtual event around the world for the Mark Pollock Trust. The Run in the Dark place takes place on November 17th and it's also part of the Irishman Running Abroad Challenge to raise funds for Jigsaw.ie. That's my own challenge. I donate.ie to uh, fund it. Sonia, we will come back after this short break with more. One of the keys to like maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise wise. Imagine, you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress. 